That's our theme song, isn't it? I love it. How's it going, Katie? It's good, Patrick. Did you have a good week? Uh, yes, I did. I had an excellent week. It was kind of a wind-down week for me. It wasn't as busy as I have been, and I attended to many things that needed to be taken care of. Um, we had our uh, first, quote-unquote, board meeting for HRN, Heritage yes, Radio Network. That's, that was very exciting. Who I think it's the youngest board ever. Yeah, I didn't realize we were even calling it a board. I thought it was more like sort of the core team. An advisory board. An advisory board, yeah. Very, yeah, young but smart. I know, that's young but it, smart. That's what counts. Dedicated. And full of ideas. We're like, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. You're not a nerd enough. <laughs> Are you saying I'm a nerd, Patrick? We're all nerds. <laughs> So um, I'm excited about today's show. Uh, we're going to talk about curing, and we have three different cultures represented. We have, I mean, all curing in America, but one's an Italian, one's Filipino, and one, I guess, is also Italian, but he's servicing the Italian, Berkeley. Italian, but also I got the feeling when I looked at the website uh, that it was also um, some German-style uh, curing and, and sausage-making and so on. But, you know, I think we've jumped ahead a little bit. Don't we need to say... That this is the main course. The main course. On on Heritage Radio Network. Sponsored Mm -hmm. by Esposito's. Esposito Sausage, which has been around since the 1920s. God bless them. They're really, really good. But they... um, yeah, they, they're big supporters. They buy all our trim. They buy all the trim oh from God, Heritage Foods. that's a beautiful Foods. thing. I know. There's it's a actually, lot of trim when there's... We generate about 3,000 pounds a week, so... Patrick, where do you process all your stuff? Where, where does it all get... Out of Paradise Locker Meats is about 90%, you uh-huh. know, and then we have another... And where temp- are they located? Right outside of Kansas City. Which is perfect wow. location because it's like right in the middle of everything. Because it's in the middle of the country, yeah. And then we have um, a, a processor upstate, Dan Purdy. He's near Utica. And uh-huh. he does, you know, every two, three weeks, we process 10 to 15 pigs with him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we sell by the case. I was realizing, like, that's one of the Heritage's big achievements is that we sell local quality proteins, but by the case. That's you don't have to thing. buy the pig, you know, and... Uh, Actually, uh, it's funny that you bring that up because it's like, you know, how do you get things done? And you sent me this really interesting press release from the anim- uh, from the Farmland Trust, American Farmland Trust. And I've always thought like the best way to help farmers is buy their land, give it to them, you know, like yeah. keep it forever from being developed. And uh, actually really interesting, uh, you know, with these two big food movies now, I saw this guy on CNN, they're getting all this right. play. And the American Farmland Trust brought up this really good thing, a point. Um, she says, both films fall short in addressing the key issues of farmland capacity and local food infrastructure needed to support new kinds of Absolutely. food systems. So, you know, I love all these good things, but, you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, Michael Pollan, Eric Slosser, the directors, Hollywood, all the people that, like, put energy behind this movie understand, like concrete economic change for farmers needs to be the outcome of this education i don't think they do actually i we saw food inc last night and um i you know i thought there were some really good points about the movie and of course i think everybody needs to recognize uh you know some of the more egregious aspects of industrialized food uh but at the same time it did not address the infrastructure of um of things like well if you only have four packers who are packing all the meat then um you know guys who want to do the right thing where are they going to go with their product and how are we going to help them get it there and the other thing that it didn't address at all uh i felt was the economic impact of buying locally at this point, because of the lack of infrastructure, costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And it remains the province of the the educated and the relatively well-to-do. And mm-hmm. I think that that, um, you know, until there's a more more of a de- democratic process uh, in, the, in the sort of food revolution, that it's going to remain the province mm-hmm. of the well-to-do, and it's never going to be trickling down. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the same press release is like, oh, no one really knows what percentage of food, like in San Francisco, is low local or in new york city and i think that that's a 
you know, they, they should pony up and admit, I bet I would put money that it's less than 1%. I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, so it's, it's like, certainly less than five. It has to be. Certainly, with if you consider meats and yeah. you just look at meats, I bet it's like 0.1 of 1%. It yeah. just doesn't, you know, think about all the deli meats at the bodegas and all that. Like, yeah. it's such a such an uphill battle. And, you know, I just hope that some of these intellectual people, you know, that are talking about trickle-down actually do, you know, what, what I did or what other people do across the country, which is get into a van, sell the stuff, move it around, you know, help these people, you know, through real mundane, simple Is that things. how you got started at Heritage Foods? Yeah, I made all, I, de- I violated every HACCP plan ever written by delivering fresh <laughs> pork in an unrefrigerated U-Haul. Yeah! And no one came around, actually, uh, and then for a year I was doing that, every Tuesday at 6 a.m., and then finally uh, Sarah Bradis, who is a co-founder of the wholesale business, she was like, I'll come deliver with you. She was like putting whole hams on her shoulders, uh, and uh, we, yeah, we opened up, uh, you know, 70, 80 restaurant accounts here in New York, and then we were lucky to meet uh, Pat LaFrida, who was like, uh, Joe Bastianich actually introduced us and was like you need help. You've gotten big enough, you know, that you now have a real business. So they let us now run our pork business through their, you know, trucking and all Mm -hmm. that. So that's great. Well, I'm really excited to get Amy and Romy on and we're going to talk kimchi. We're going to talk curing. We're going to talk about their new restaurant, Purple Yam. And they're two of my favorite, like nicest people in the food world. Fantastic. They are in case for those of you who aren't familiar with Amy and Romy, they owned the wonderful uh, Filipino, only true Filipino restaurant in New York City, Cendrillon. It really was the only true. So it's a real privilege and pleasure to have them on and, and to talk about their new venture, which is opening up what in the next month or so. So I yeah, think, purple according yam to their website. Very exciting. So yeah, well, we'll be right back on the main course. on the main course. I'm Patrick Martins. I'm Katie Kiefer. And we are sponsored today by Esposito Sausages. God bless their souls. They're so awesome. <laughs> and today we have with us uh, Amy Bessa and Romy Doratan, who are formerly of Cendrillon and about to open up a new venture in Brooklyn called The Purple Yam. Yeah! Yeah. <laughs> we down with that. So um, thank you. Thank you so much for coming out to the show. Well, thank you for inviting us. Yeah, we're excited. So we wanted to talk about curing today because uh, curing, I guess, is a big deal in Filipino cuisine. 
Correct me if I'm wrong. And tell us, before we even get into curing, what is Filipino cuisine? Like, yeah. how does it differentiate itself from, you know, other Asian cuisines and from other world cuisines, just so we can put it in the context? Well, you know, the traditional way of describing mm. a, a cuisine is uh, listing the most famous or the most, uh, you know, um, cooked dishes that Filipinos cook. Right, mm-hmm. and the three main dishes that Filipinos do are adobo, sinigang, and kinilaw. Adobo is a, a vinegar-based stew, uh-huh. and uh, sinigang is a sour soup made with sour fruits, and kinilaw is like a ceviche. So you can sour that with either vinegar or citrus or you know. Uh, anything uh, or sour fruits again and if you notice that the main flavor that it's goes sour. through is sour yeah yeah so there are a lot of soups and a lot of liquidy based uh, stews correct yes that's why we eat with spoon and fork mm, no knife <laughs> no. interesting <laughs> And why is that, though? I mean, that is sort of interesting that it's really... And you don't do a lot of really hot, spicy foods, I don't no. think, right? Well, you know, the Philippines is an archipelago. Yes. And it's it like 7,100 yes. islands. And uh, the the first Filipinos that settled on the shores were, of course, on the coast. Uh-huh. So the food that people uh, developed was... Uh, you know, the first foods they ate were seafood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop doing all that. That's the last one for a while. <laughs> it's a boy thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's how uh, people ate, you know? Like, of course, there was wild boar and wild deer, wild chicken. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very surprised to see wild chicken. Well, didn't the chicken originate? I know that they trace the chicken to a single common ancestor. And I really? don't know if it was in the Philippines or what. It's on our heritage calendar. But um, but anyway, either way, it's fish that was... Um, Seafood, really- like a lot of shellfish, like okay. oysters. Uh, abalone, clams. I would yeah. think, right? No? Uh, Urchin? You know, abalone was like a Chinese thing. Oh. Yes. Uh, and I think it was found more out towards the ocean and um, like very far-flung islands. And it became a very big uh, industry Mm -hmm. that the Chinese did with with the inhabitants of that area. And what's the history of the Philippines? Like, when do you trace your guys' history back? Like, when were written records? Like, is it a kingdom? Is it a president? I mean, how? Well, tell us you about know, we, we were part of the Majapahit Empire, you know. And so the first... I would say the first influences of the Philippines came from India. You know, uh, it, it, we were Hinduized before anything else. Hmm. And if you look, if, if you study our uh, language, which is at least Tagalog? Tagalog, well, there are like over a hundred languages, right? Yeah. Well, I consider them languages, okay, uh, because they're very different. Uh, at least for several languages that I know. There are a lot of Sanskrit words. Mm-hmm. And the word for vinegar, which is suka, it, you know, the Sanskrit term is achoka. So you know that's, that's Sanskrit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, and then, of course, there were people from Indonesia that came. Uh, there was also slave trade coming on. They used to raid the, our shores for slaves. And and bring them to uh, Sumatra, you know, uh, near the Spice Islands. And so uh, after the Hinduization of the Philippines came, the uh, I guess, the Muslim uh, influence. But from what I've read, the um, that was only limited to the ruling class. You know, and the you know the 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 maharlika or the royalty of these little fiefdoms, they were Muslim. But then beyond that, below that, of course there were slaves too, and very poor people. They were basically pagan, you know, like the or animists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so uh, 
And then, of course, the Chinese came. First, well, first the Arab traders came, and then the Chinese came, and then Spain arrived, like in the 1500s, mm-hmm. and and because of uh, the Spanish uh, colonization, we went through like 250 years of the galleon trade with Mexico, Manila, Acapulco, and a lot of food exchange happened there. Right. So, you know, everything that, you know, potatoes, uh, chilies, tomatoes, avocado, all those came from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And w- and in return, we sent like mangoes, tamarind, coconut, you know, mm-hmm. um, a-, a few things. It's what happens when you're an archipelago, right? Like many people pass through, you know, when you're not a landlocked, like, you know, the United States is hard to penetrate, but like Sicily or... These things, very fascinating food uh, exchanges. Exchanges, yeah. 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 Well, we have um, a couple more minutes uh, for this introduction part. So let's jump to the late 1960s or whenever, you know, you guys were born and um, when when you guys met. I like the fact that you make us younger. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, tell me, like, when did you guys meet? When did you guys decide you were going to become restaurateurs here in New York? Uh, Romy, give us uh, a little bit of the history of you and Amy's empire here. Uh, we met in uh, in Philadelphia in the 70s. We were both students at uh, Temple University there. And uh, we were also activists at that time against uh, the Marcos dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason I got involved in cooking Oh, no, I ran out of money, so I got a dishwashing job. <laughs> That's excellent, really. Yeah. And, and, and then one day the chef left, and he took all his uh, cooks and staff to another restaurant. So the owner asked me to if I wanted to cook. And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea about cooking at all. None. None, so you're not one no. of those guys that like grew up at grandma's knee watching her prepare the adobo. <laughs> no, you know? no. I mean, isn't that, that what every, every <laughs> <laughs> No, but like every cook when you talk scratch any cook and I swear it's a grandmother's story. It's amazing how universal that experience is. Mm-hmm. But now I how many grandmothers will do that for their children, right? I don't know. I, I, I'm not a grandmother yet, but yeah, I hope I will. Oh. So um, we have 30 seconds left, and then we'll come talk about curing. So Sendrion opened what year? 1995. 95. 95. What a beautiful restaurant that was. Like, what a cultural loss for Soho to lose the one of the last family-run independent restaurants. Um, but good news is Purple Yam is now opening, and where is that going to be? In uh, On Cortelyu Road in Ditmas Park in Brooklyn. Oh, fantastic. And it's going to be much the same cuisine and staff and everything that we have yes. come to love. Yes. Very personal. Awesome. How many seats? It'll be smaller than Sandrion, I'm guessing, yeah, right? I think inside it'll be like, uh, including the bar, would be around 40. Oh, yeah. That's we have very a little backyard that could seat mm. about 16 people. Sweet. Sounds great. It's, it would be great. <laughs> All right. Well, we will come back and then we'll get into our main theme. Uh, you know, Katie was actually um, worked as a butcher and I'm in the meat business. So you guys are chefs. So it'll be fun to talk about curing when we come back. Thank you. 
Here we are back on the main course. I'm You're Patrick, Patrick Martins. Martins. <laughs> and I'm Katie Kiefer. We're with uh, Amy Besa and Romy Doratan from The Purple Yam, a soon-to-be-opened restaurant in uh, Brooklyn. And they will be one of the few, if not, again, one of the only um, pure Filipino cuisine restaurants in the city, or certainly in the, in the five boroughs. Is that true? Well, there are um, other uh, restaurants called Turu Turu, which are like little steam top table type restaurants in you. Turu Turu means point point. Oh. <laughs> so you go, you point I want at that. what yeah. you want. Yes. And then the cook. That's, cook. that's, uh, that's really like home cooking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would shy away from pure. Okay. You know, uh, we like to serve some traditional classic dishes that we interpret. Our own, which cool. means using Patrick's meats. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's have a round of applause for that one, Patrick. Come on. <laughs> Maybe we'll just do this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, now tell us when it comes to curing, what types of what is the curing tradition in the Philippines? I mean, what do you guys cure, and what animals? Well, in terms of animals, uh, you know, basically wild animals before you make, uh, Amy was talking about tapa, which are basically air-dried from the deer or from wild boar. uh, Is pork in general a big part of Filipino cuisine? I always think of it as a poultry-based cuisine more than a pig-based cuisine, but that's... It's more... Well, wild boar is almost And uh, yeah, <laughs> not in and, our country. Oh my God, feral pigs! We have way too many of them. No, you know where they are still alive is down south because it's Muslim country. Ah, they don't get so hunted. They don't eat pig. Yeah, mm. of course. But I grew up with wild boar. Mm-hmm. I, I it was absolutely fabulous. But it, you can't find that in you know that part of the country where I come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did they substitute? Um, you know, farmed pigs to make up for that. And of course. you have all, I mean, it's a big, so you would say that pork is the main meat consumed? Yes. In the Philippines, wow. Yes. Very pork-based. Mm-hmm. And that's for yeah. all the archipelago? I mean, is that all the islands still unite with common recipes and, and cuisines? Yes. Pork is very, very much loved. If you remove pork from... Uh, the Philippines, you would have a revolution. (laughs) (laughs) And I think because the two main influences of our cooking are the Chinese and the Spanish. Mm -hmm. And both are very, very much pork-based cultures, you know. And and Spain, as you know, promoted pork to get rid of the Muslims and the Jews. So I, right now I we did have, not know that. Oh but well, the Spanish—that was the Spanish Inquisition. That was what it was all about. You know, I actually read a lot about the Spanish Inquisition. I never heard anyone advance the theory. Did you that get it from Monty Python? <laughs> 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 the Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sw- that was Mel Brooks. That was a good sound effect. I'm <laughs> sort about uh, that. How do you do differentiate the burro and the uh, tocino? Uh, okay, because there's like the traditional ways of airing, drying, salting, and, and sugar. Because uh, we have the tapa and the tocino. Mm-hmm. The tapa is usually with beef. Okay, and that's the air-dried. Yes, but that, that has a little bit of salt too. But it's really air It's like jerky. So this uh-huh. is one jerky. of the four curing methods then is... And how would that incorporate into your cuisine? I mean, do you guys then like reconstitute it like a bacalao or something? Or do you eat it sliced very thin like prosciutto? Or, uh, you well, know, the tapa, yeah, with the it. tapa, they do, they cure it in pieces already. Uh-huh. And then it's usually sun dried on, on the roof. Mm-hmm. Or, and then it's hung, um, I, I, well, from what my grandmother did, she would pound it and then she would air dry it and then, uh, Grill it oh, first wow. without uh, putting salt or sugar first. I think, I think it's salt. I think it's salt and lime juice. We have a Philippine lime called calamansi. 
and okay. maybe a little bit of sugar. Huh. So that's the. Uh, and then yeah. so it gets marinated in that, and then, and then it gets air grilled. Oh, I see. Oh and my God! There's Mark, uh, who one of the ways we know each other. But anyway, that's oh. another show. Okay. Uh, and, then and then when you serve it, what what do you? What's we, the preparation? Then we fry it. Wow! So it's not really dried out. Like I mean, yes. you know, the the most incredible thing in my memory is the tapang uh, usa, mm-hmm. which is hmm. uh, wild deer, and when it's deep fried, it crumbles. Hmm. It's crispy, crunchy, wow, brittle. Yeah, and and it's fried, and you put it on rice and an egg, and you put a little bit of vinegar and cut tomatoes. It is just the most amazing breakfast. And and if you talk to any of my brothers, that is the one memory they have, which <sighs> we can't get anymore. Right. Hmm. Because that nobody very Korean to me, actually. Right. We have we have a, a native Korean here. Hey Jin is a kimchi expert, and um, she's been well. I do make kimchi with roaming, <laughs> but she. Um, but don't you think that sounds very Korean with the rice, the egg, the crumbly meat? Crumbly meat. Yeah. No, am I making that up? I feel like I've sort of had that. Maybe bulgogi, the Korean barbecue. Yeah. Dish with the rice. Yeah, it's not really crumbly, but like yeah, the combination. And then the egg is mixed in, right, and right, right. yeah, that sounds that sounds delicious. <laughs> and now tell us, you are um, you were just here at the Robertas uh, on our roof of our shipping containers, and you were wondering if more cabbage could be grown for kimchi. Yeah. So um, is that a specialty of yours? To is that that's a kind of preservation tactic? technique as yeah, well, right? Yeah, that's a vinegary mm-hmm. preservation. Mm-hmm. So tell us about some, uh, you know, the process of kimchi. Kimchi, so it's a, it's a pickled with the salt and a um, little bit of sugar and a starch. So it ferments and mm-hmm. then it preserves. So it's... What do you mean by starch? You mean... Starch, um, I would put, like, I don't think many people, and not all Koreans do, but like my mother's recipe was uh, you make a little bit of a um, uh, starch mix, like a cornstarch mix, um, like a flour starch or rice. Oh, yeah, rice, rice flour. flour starch. Huh? Yeah, mixed with the pepper powder. Right, because kimchi is very spicy. It's really spicy, but you don't have to make it all spicy. Yeah, That's but what why would you to want to? Room. <laughs> <laughs> Rumi, I love spice. Rumi and Amy wanted to make a kimchi not too spicy, not too strong with the um, 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 so uh, fish sauce. So uh-huh. that's what we're we've been experimenting. Uh huh. Yeah. Interesting. And the kimchi is um, how long is the process? I mean, it's uh, from from picking on the roof garden to actually yes. consumption. Like, how long do you have to marinate it in its vinegar? Um, there is no vinegar. Oh, actually. not vinegar. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of the sour taste, a lot of people ask. It's a, it has a vinegar mm-hmm. on it, but like it's like an, it's a. But it's actually fermented. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Uh, from you can make a fresh kimchi which will take maybe two hours so you mm-hmm. can eat it right away and from then on it will ferment so my favorite is like a third day you ferment it three days outside and then mm. you put it in the refrigerator mm-hmm. and that's my favorite time mm. to eat but some people like it like a month old hmm that's old. interesting. Yeah, what are the health regulations on? I would want that. I mean, like, I want two years, like a wine. No, really, you can really have that kind. You can um, taste that kind of old kimchi in Korea. Hmm. They will say in the restaurant we have a three-year-old kimchi. Wow. Yeah. Do you like oh. it? I do like it because it's so rustic. It almost becomes different food, mm-hmm. but it's not disgusting as it sounds like. It is just really. Yeah, and let me ask: Does the uh, raw ingredients are they as important in a kimchi as they would be in a salad, where you don't do anything to it and you just put a little oil and vinegar? I mean, is does it is the pristineness of the ingredients as important with kimchi as it would be with any other? Recipe? I think every food it, material is most important. I mm. think um, like we experimented using um, Japanese daikon. Um, instead of using Korean radish, and Korean radishes has so much water, so it does make different taste of kimchi. <laughs> and also, you want to have really fresh cabbage and radish, and good um, good quality of salt is very important, and pepper mm. powder also. 
Yeah. Very sea interesting. Salt, yeah. Well, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back with one more segment uh, with you guys. But then we hope you stay on because our other guests, uh, Taylor and Chesit, are calling in. So it might be nice to if you guys can stick around. So we'll be right back in 30 seconds. Okay. This is Katie Keeper with Patrick Martins on Heritage Radio Network's The Main Course, sponsored by Esposito Sausages. And we're talking curing today. We have uh, Amy and Romy from The Purple Yam. Um, and we were just exploring the varying kinds of curing and cured um, products in Filipino cuisine. So let's pick it up uh, again back in the away from kimchi and back to Filipino curing and talk a little bit more about besides the beef that we talked about or the wild deer that we talked about uh, being air dried and then crumbly up, you know, in a, in a deep fried kind of way. What else do you guys cure? Do you cure pork products like prosciutto? Do you make things like hams? Do you, you know, we have so many cured yeah we have so many cured products that come out of the pork and then also there's cured fish of many different types and that's that's something else i'd like to just touch on quickly the most the most famous pork uh cured one is we call it tocino it's basically uh uh, cured in salt sugar and a chuete and garlic what is chuete Achuete is the anato. anato Achiote. Oh, I always think achuete. it's achuete. We call it achuete uh-huh. in Filipino. Right. But it's that, that's the thing that turns things yellow. Or right? red, reddish. Yeah, like yeah. a reddish yeah. yellow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But the more uh, traditional uh, way of doing that is called burro. Oh, burro is to do. Because that, uh, it requires fermentation. And uh, the burro we, we, is that actually is almost the origins of sushi. Uh-huh. You know how fish was preserved in Thailand and then it moved to Japan? Uh, they, they generally put salt and um, a little bit of sugar maybe in, in, in rice and it ferments. Yeah. And then they wrap the fish in that and then that's and in seaweed and then they can preserve it. So you can, you have food for a week or something or right, two weeks, right. mm-hmm. but in in and it's amazing to find this in a particular region in the Philippines in in Central Luzon, where the practice of buro, which which means fermentation, is still alive, mm-hmm. and and the principle is uh, mushy rice, watery rice with a little bit of salt. And that ferments. And, and fermentation requires starch. Mm-hmm. Yes, as Heijin was saying just yes. a minute ago. Yeah. It, it, that's where the, the, the bacteria, what's happening. Yeah. They, they, they feed on that. Uh-huh. And so they, you uh, put the pork, you know, uh, the, you, you use a pork belly cut that's got a, a good cross-section of the skin, the fat, the meat and the bone, mm-hmm. and bone then, and belly, with the spare rib section attached. Yes, mm-hmm. and then you 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 submerge that in that rice uh, mixture. Wow. Who and, knew? I never thought of curing. You know, not with many rice. Filipinos know this. Yeah. It's yeah. only a particular region, and it's it's something because it becomes very stinky. Uh huh. 
and can't it, scare me. <laughs> and it's really an acquired taste uh-huh. that, because some people eat the rice afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a little scary. But they fry it, you know. But the pork is just amazing. So what happens? It becomes very soft and it becomes vinegary. It it's sour. It's sour. It sours the pork, and then of course you cook the pork. Yeah. You you uh, what I I like to do with that is I boil it in water to render the fat, and then you fry it and you put some sugar, uh-huh. and it caramelizes. So it's it's fantastic. So it's salty, sh- uh, sweet, and sour. Are we gonna eat this at the purple yam? Uh, I don't know if we can do it. Really? Because it's it's oh. very tricky. Wah, wah, wah. It's very, very Sounds tricky. Sounds so good. <laughs> we have tocino, which is the, the, the more simple uh-huh. one, which we cure the, the pork with salt, sugar, and the achuete. Right. But uh, to try and ferment it and, and make it sour is, is very tricky. I would imagine, because you don't want to poison your guests. No, <laughs> exactly. <that'd be> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Poisoning your family. No. And, and if you kidding. talk, to I don't see how fermenting. I mean, it seems to me that when you ferment something, you're kind of killing a lot of the bacteria just through the action of fermentation. Well, you mm-hmm. get we you have so many the, fermented products already. I you mean, have the you you need the right bacteria. Yeah, but I mean, there's so many things. I mean, beer is a fermented beverage. Hard cider. Uh, you know, there's so many different um, things that are already fermented, and that's what gives them their flavor and their texture quality. So all in an effort to preserve food. Yeah. Through the winter, right? I mean, that's where so much of this starts is surviving the long winter. Although exactly. I don't know if you guys had long winters in the Philippines. Were well, they it tough? actually really it's we really goes it. way back to where we just started cooking and people were able to, you know, uh, gather in groups because they had learned how to control fire. I'm like all all excited about this book I just read. Wait, it's so great, Jared it's called, Diamond. No, it's called Catching Fire by Richard oh. Rangham, who is um, actually a, an anthropologist and biologist from Harvard University, and he wrote a book about very short little book about why. Homo erectus became Homo erectus and then Homo sapiens, and it was really all because Because of the food they learned how to cook, and that allowed our brains to develop. Yeah, yeah, because you got more nutrition. Yeah, and more easily digested. I mean, it's so interesting, and it talked a lot about preserving foods. One of my favorite movies of all time that you're describing was about uh, that guy. What's his name? He was just recently in a movie. He's a great gestural actor, and anyway, he. Um, it was about a clan that had captured fire, yes. but all they could do was keep it. They didn't know how to recreate it, so eventually went out one day, and so he was sent off to uh, to, to find try to more. find it. Yeah, and there were this tribe that taught yeah. him in, with in, this girl. In terms of uh, preservation, because we have typhoons, rainy season, also, so right. you need to have dried fish I or see, yes. just preserve. Exactly. So exactly. In this. And then if there's a big abundance of harvest, for example, mm-hmm. fish, and you cannot consume that the same day, you have to. Have to, yeah, exactly. Uh, food stocks. Pr- yeah, well, food preserve it. The two key things in our cooking are fermented things, which is the uh, bagong and the patis, which is fish sauce, mm-hmm. which is a byproduct of, uh, you know, uh, fermented fish, which right. is similar to trasi and balachang. You know, uh, th- Southeast Asia. They all have some variation on the fish sauce. Is yes. that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yes. Just like the re- ancient Romans did with garum. That yeah. exactly. That's that's what bagong is. It's mm-hmm. garum. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, and fish sauce is a byproduct of that. You know, um, you layer f- very fresh fish in jars and uh, with salt and fish, and you loosely cover it, put it in a cool area of the house and let it ferment hmm. and the liquid that rises up to the top is the fish sauce right and that's why very it's so interesting salty. well we are going to uh, take a break hopefully you guys will stay and uh we're going to have Cesare Casale talk about the italian curing tradition and maybe we could make some cross comparisons on what's the same and what's different across right. cultures okay
Here we back. We're back on the main course. I'm Patrick Martins. I'm Katie Kiefer, and we are Heritage Radio Network. And this week we are sponsored by Esposito Sausages. Good memory. I did, always forget to mention the sponsors. Today we have. Um, well, we've been talking with uh, Amy and Romy from the Purple Yam, soon to be, and we're about to pick up with Cesare Casella, one of the nicest guys in the industry, and one of the best uh, cures. Absolutely, Cesare, are you with show. us? Cesare. Signore. Cesare. No está. No. Wait, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wrong language. <laughs> we, we, the Heritage Radio Network is aspiring to increase its 30% success rate on the phone lines. Yeah, well. Well, let's talk for a minute about Cesare, because while the boys are trying to get him on the line, um, he is the proprietor of Salumeria Rossi, which opened up on the Upper West Side just a few, about six or eight months ago, maybe, I think. Mm-hmm. Not quite a year. Um, and I noticed it right away. I admit I have not yet been in there, although I've looked. I've definitely checked out the products in there. Cesare, really are you there? Yes, I'm here. Ah, Ciao, Cesare. Dove sei? Buongiorno. Where are we calling you? Are you, are you in uh, Colorado? Yes, in Aspen. Wow, what are you oh, doing it's there? A it's at the Food and Wine uh, Festival. What are you doing there? Are you, do you have a stand? Or are you getting an I award? have a stand and I slice prosciutto. Is uh. this prosciutto that you are making your very own self? And is this part of your Salumeria Rossi? Or is this like a whole separate enterprise of yours? No, it's the same. It's the same. It's cool. a prosciutto di Parma, a plus we have the porchetta and the other type of salumi. Mm-hmm. So now, Cesare, just a brief history. We have about eight minutes uh, to talk. Uh, your parents owned one of the most famous osteria in Tuscany, correct? Yes. Now, uh, I grew up in this uh, place. There, uh, there was a simple osteria. And then slowly I went uh, involved in the restaurant. And uh, we have a store there, plus restaurant. And uh, What's it called? Vipore. Vipore. And then the in 1992, I started to come into New York. And then since then, I started to spend time in New York and some time in uh, Italy. And then you came and you opened uh, Beppe, right? Was your first. Yes, before uh, I was a Cocopazzo, and then I opened Beppe. And then after uh, Maremma. Maremma, and now Salumeria Rosi. Which is a real new, uh, almost concept for how people eat here in America and in New York. It's a true Salumeria where you can taste from many different cured meats, correct? Yes, it, it's a, Salumeria is a traditional uh, story in Italy, especially in a small, uh, small village where you're going to buy the salumi. A, a grocery plus you add I add the part of the restaurant mm-hmm. uh, it's a very small and then it's a more in concept it's an Italian tapas for to be simple very interesting and then we'll talk about this next time you're on but uh, we won't we don't really have enough time to cover it today but uh, Cesare has done a lot to increase the diversity of food here in America with beans but also he started um, you know a pig program with Thanksgiving farm in upstate New York where the stonewall pig is now uh, you know one of the types of pigs that he cures. Um, but tell us, Cesare, what types of foods are you curing? Um, and tell us a little bit, if you could, about what is the Italian style of curing? My, uh, curing in Italy is a very, the, the things more important, uh, so like uh, prosciutto. In the end, is only salt, uh, good pigs, and the air, uh, the aspirants, that uh, you don't need nothing else. Uh, is a more important uh, in Italy, uh, how when you cu- uh, cure uh, product, it's uh, in the end for to preserve for the winter time. Uh, traditionally, uh, you uh, raise the pigs until the winter time, and then when you arrive uh, in the beginning of the winter, you preserve the the, the pigs for the winter time. So the, the way simple is a salt. Salt, salt. Only few, <clears throat> in few areas in Italy, in the south, in the no, extreme, in the northeast, Italy, they use the smoke. 
-hmm. But the rest of the Italy, they use only, only salt. So there's no fermenting. And, and we were just talking to uh, Amy and Romy from uh, Cendrillon, or the Purple Yam, about Filipino tradition in curing. And they use a lot of, they, they ferment a lot of products. Okay, salami, which is quite salami different you need from a, what you do. No, it's salami, you need a, uh, the fermentation. You oh, need really? to have a fermentation because it's the way they give a flavor. When you have a, a product, they are ground. Uh-huh. So when these are the big pieces, like a pancetta, prosciutto, oh, they have only uh, salt or in uh, dry or in salamoya. Salamoya is a brine. Uh -huh. For example, for speck or capocollo, cioè coppa, they, they use a brine. Uh -huh. And um, besides the process, what is the greatest challenge for you now that you have a line of cured meats for Salumeria and that's expanding? What is the greatest challenge to do here in the States, you know, that's different from Italy? My, what is the big challenge is uh, uh, the difference that, that I find it's especially uh, for the materia prima, for the pigs. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the quality uh, the pigs that you find, uh, especially because in this uh, in this country it's uh, difficult to find old pigs. Uh, they are maximum six months. They are 240 pounds. In Italy, uh, normally uh, for the consortium, they use the pigs. They are 350 pounds hmm. uh, for different uh, reasons. One because uh, six months the pigs they have not so much fat. In Italy, fat is important, but especially because of the fat, when they have six months or nine months or 12 months, they change the difference, the consistency of the fat. Hmm. Uh, so practically, they are not enough fat when you especially make a, a salami, but at the same time, the meat, it's a different because when they, the pigs, they are more old, David, the flowers are more uh, strong. Very, very interesting. And um, tell us about some of the things that we would see if we came to Salumeria Rossi. You know, uh, what, what, uh, what would you recommend that people try? I mean, what are you most happy with with your initial curing program? But I think I think that uh, it's important. It's important that what are we doing? Uh, no, try to make a new. I believe. Uh, I believe that, uh, like that we, so we started this program, and uh, and uh, you know well that I, I try to work, I, I work with you uh, to find the right meat, because uh, uh, when you eat the pigs, you eat the, the the pork or you cure pork, they're not the same. So it's possible for you uh, to have a great uh, quality uh, pork meat uh, for eat, but they know maybe they are not good for uh, curing mm -hmm. because they have a different consistency. I talk about, for example, uh, very good, uh, when I was in Italy, I used to raise pigs too. And uh, when I use uh, the pigs for the restaurant, uh, the pigs are used to eat uh, everything, try what is left of from the restaurant. Uh, every food. But that pig you know, was good for curing because they take it, uh, when you're going to uh, cure, they don't take the salt like uh, you have a pig only. Uh, and the, the pigs they have, you, ground, you raise uh, with uh, grass or uh, cereali. Mm -hmm. well. uh, in Salomeria, what they try to do uh, to have a Different type of the pigs when they are cooked. For example, is it possible? No, I, I make these uh, spar ribs. Uh, spar ribs. Uh, they are uh, they are cooked with uh, in a sauce. But it's like a Toscan style. They look like a la, uh, a la cacciatora because they have a tomato, they have a spice. I, they are very interesting. Mm. And uh, I make a sauce for pasta with the, uh, I think they are the Berkshire or 
I don't know what you send it to me. It's, uh, it was really commodity pork that we just pretended was heritage. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It was probably Berkshire. Um, very, very interesting. Well, Cesare, you, I'm a big fan of yours, and I hope that uh, next, when you can come back to the studio often and come actually visit and be here, and we could do more with you. But thank you so much for being thank part you. of this curing theme. And uh, it's Salumeria Rossi, everybody. It's on uh, 73rd and Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Yes. Fantastic. Yes, thank you. Travel safe, Cesare. Ciao. We'll see thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you very much. much. Okay. Bye-bye. Ciao. You know one of the things I Here I am blabbing on about the French tradition of curing. Uh, this is Katie Kiefer. She's like, let me get this in in the yeah. next sentence. The French tradition of curing. We're in the main course. I'm Patrick Martins. Uh, yes, and I'm Katie Kiefer. This is the Heritage Radio Network. And today we're sponsored by... Esposito Sausage. Buys a ton Patrick. of trim a week. That's right. So um, we have had very interesting guests. Um, so far, we've covered the Filipino curing tradition. We've just touched upon it, really. You really, guys have to come back. Just touched. Cesare basically got just a couple minutes. He could have gone on for weeks as well, uh, talking about the Italian style. And now we have uh, one of the great cures in America, Taylor Boddicker from the Fatty Calf in Napa. Hey, Taylor. Hello, hello. How y'all doing? How hey, are Taylor. you? I'm well, thanks. How about you? Thanks Good. so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Let's hear, let's hear all about your curing program. Uh, what are well, you guys doing out there? Basically, we're curing little bits of lots of different types of things. Uh, mostly pork. We have a small prosciutto prog- uh, program going. We do about a dozen different kinds of salami. Uh, we get jowls in to make guanciale. We do brizzola, which is like an Italian-style uh, cured beef I have round. We do, uh, let's see, um, cured pork loin, cured uh, pork belly for pancetta, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of stuff. Um, do you smoke our, also? We do, you do, do a s- lot you of a smoking. smoking we, make eggs, we, do, uh, we do a couple smoked salamis, like a salami cotto. We also do hams, bacon, and dewy, linguiza. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's see what else we do. We do ham hawks. Um, yeah, we, we kind of. I mean, so yeah, you, you kind of cover all the bases yeah. there, yeah. A, a bit, for sure. How many products do you actually include in your line, like that you know you produce consistently? Well, on the whole menu, there's probably about 120. Um, wow. I'd say about 45 or 50 of which we have on hand all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and we kind of rotate different specials in and out depending on seasonality and holidays and you know fun stuff sure. like that. Mm-hmm. And now we were talking about, you know, the curing traditions, um, you know, in the Philippines. And now what cool. is is yours more an Italian style or do you kind of span uh, the I, spectrum? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's pretty much like more of a Western European style kind of thing. We do some some um, some French inspired stuff, some Italian, a little bit of Spanish. Uh, you know, we do like a one of those Lomo Embuchados with the paprika on the outside. It's a cured pork loin. It's kind of like Lonza, but it's skinless. And, um, you know, it's, it's got some of the similar uh, seasonings on the outside as chorizo, or chorizo, as I say. Um, but, uh, yeah, mostly, I'd say mostly Italian, um, probably 60 Italian, 35 French, and then uh-huh. 5% a few other, uh, Mis- other nationalities. Miscellaneous. Miscellaneous, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think are the biggest challenges in, in curing programs? I mean, f- actually, I have three questions for you. First okay. is... Uh, 
how much has the whole sort of cured meats thing taken off in the last few years? Because all of a sudden, I'm seeing a lot of it now. I'm oh, it's gotten not huge, a, huge, yeah, right? Absolutely, huge. I thought um, I was not mistaken in that. So, no, it's definitely um, it's definitely gotten a lot more popular. Why do you think that is? I mean, what do you think uh, is is that because is that being driven by chefs who want to use more of the animal, or is the consumer demand higher, or or is I it think, sort of a combination of both? What, I, I think it's a combination of both, and I think it's a happy situation where mm-hmm. one kind of feeds the other. Um, I think that uh, I think pe- first of all, consumers have seen what a huge difference it makes when people use good good raw products. You know, pork like pork from Heritage Foods USA, doing small <laughs> batches. And not, not Thank you, I mean, it's easy for me to plug because you know we've been using it. You there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, <laughs> we're just doing, sound we're doing sound um, effects here. It's, I mean, it's easy to plug it because we've been using it for years, and mm-hmm. it makes an awesome product. But um, you know, like I said, using you know using good raw uh, raw ingredients and making small batches and not jacking it full of starter culture and uh, and back to firm and things like that, you wind up with something that um, is unique to your own restaurant and place. And I mean, it, it, of course, it's it's a uh, you're dealing with nature, so sometimes things don't work out the way you want, even if you follow all the steps exactly right. right. Um, so, you know, it, 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 I think it's, it's kind of like having your own wine or cheese program. You know, you've got something that's completely typical of your place that's going to taste different made in your kitchen than it would anywhere else, even if somebody uses the same recipe. Till so I, just, I think it's... Sorry, go ahead. No, I just to follow up on her question, um, Katie's question, why did it take so long? What kept that revolution from happening, you know, well, in the I 70s? Think, I, think, I think part of it is that, um, you know, for a long time it was just too easy to get the, uh, you know, to get the, um, the, the really highly processed stuff. And that was always available. And also maybe having something to do with a lot of the regulations. I know that in New York State right now a lot of chefs are having problems uh, with health departments about running a curing program, mm-hmm. even though these are things that have been being made for, you know, thousands of years. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think um, I, I think part of it is you know it's it's uh, it's a backlash against the industrialized system that we're really just kind of seeing right now, um, and uh, you know that's I mean that's pretty much all I could I could figure. We've I mean I've been doing charcuterie professionally for about eleven years or so, and mm-hmm. it's really exploded over the last four or five, which is you know great for us obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean we've got more. I've got a lot more contemporaries now to bounce ideas off of. I mean I keep in touch with a lot of the other curers out here in the Bay Area. Um, and, uh, so there are know, a lot of people who are running curing programs for absolutely. their restaurants, mm-hmm. or, for or, their restaurant. for, or for like Whole Foods market type places, or or farmers markets. Well, that's a, you know that's that's kind of a tricky one because um, you know to keep something going for just your restaurant is is pretty easy, but to to keep something handmade and artisanal and still be able to supply someplace like Whole Foods or something like that is a different beast altogether. And a lot of times the costs are so great that to to get the average consumer to be able to try it and understand that it costs a lot more money, right. you know, to to get that kind of product to market is uh, is a bit more of a challenge. Well, how, um, that that's always my big question uh, in terms of what we you know sort of style the food revolution now, and mm-hmm. and I'm always curious, you know, like to me that economic piece of the puzzle is the one piece that doesn't really seem to translate to uh, sort of the broad mainstream consumer base. And um, and how, how, how can we overcome that? Like, how can we make it cheaper? Like, what 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 do you see as the future of, the, of your business, for instance, at the Fatted Calf? I mean, you've reached probably, you know, the maximum audience that you're going to reach in your area. I don't know if you do a big mail order business. Maybe you do. But... Um, he will. What? <laughs> we, we actually, uh, we absolutely have reached critical mass in our own facility, which we only moved into about a year and a half ago. Uh-huh. Um, where is it? We, Tell people where it is, Taylor. It's uh, in, we're, we're in Napa, California, at the Oxbow Public Market, right Oxbow. off First Street, mm-hmm. and the, it's it's right in downtown uh, downtown Napa, right uh-huh. on the river. Cool. Um, it's a great little market. There's a good fish market, produce, spices, killer cheese and wine shop. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool, you know, little public market, which we always wanted to be a part of. How many pounds of product do you move every week, would you say? I'd say we produce, you know, since a lot of it is going up for months and months and months, we sure. get about, what, about 2,000 pounds a week, Patrick? Yeah, I was like, uh, they buy a ton of stuff a week, and people are like, oh, yeah? And I'm like, no, literally, literally a, a ton. ton. Yeah. So if um, you are so processing 2,000 pounds of product a week, then you must be selling something close to that. We, no, we because you lose. lose. Oh, you lose so much well, weight. Well, we, yeah. we lose a good amount of weight in salami and things like that, but mm-hmm. we also do, we do roasts, we do fresh sausages, we do bacon that only takes us about five days to turn around. I mean, uh-huh. We're smoking bacon twice a week. If you come to the shop and buy bacon, it was it was probably smoked like 
three days ago at, at the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we, we, do, we do really small batches and we turn it around fast. Um, but what we're doing to address the fact that we've reached critical mass is we're going to start, you know, kind of collaborating with some other really um, high-quality producers that do have a USDA certification that can get our stuff out to the rest of the country. You know, we get, I mean, I, I hate saying no. We, we get calls from L.A. and New York. We just not only are, are not certified, but we don't have the capacity to do that kind of shipping. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the only thing we've been able to come up with in terms of, you know, making, making the facility that we have pay for itself. Um, you know, we've got a storefront, and it's getting busier and busier every day. We did our first sausage-making class yesterday, oh, good which for was you. a blast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're just, we're, doing, you know, we're, we're, we're just doing lots of different things. We do pig roasts. We do, you know, we've got one of those um, old hand-crank Burkell slicers that we bring <laughs> to wineries and people's Great. homes and things, and, you know, hand-crank salumi. It's um so I mean we're not pretty much pretty much we're just not waiting we're not sitting here twiddling our thumbs right. saying oh we need to be busier we're really you, know, you got to be proactive. How does that economy? I, we have to wrap up in a couple of minutes. Unfortunately, sure. we're going to have you back, Taylor, because there's yeah, so much 100%. to talk about. But um just in terms of the economies of scale that um mm-hmm. that Im- that are implied by by growing at this exponential rate, like will you ever be able to bring your prices down because you can support more farmers or more people like Patrick or or is it always going to be because it's an artistic produced sort of handmade product is that always going to you know cost the extra premium uh, price that it well, does now hopefully I mean if we if we got it to a certain scale hopefully we would be able to bring some of our prices down a little bit mm-hmm. the thing about it is it's not just the cost of goods I mean all of these things to make are yeah, very, very labor intensive yeah Absolutely. and I mean we're people don't get it, cheaper <laughs> exactly and it's, 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 Nor it's do the pigs. same thing about it's yeah. the same thing about you know paying farmers a, a fair wage it's a, sure. you know, labor you know labor mm-hmm deserves to be you know compensated fairly so and taylor um, just took a trip uh, to visit many of the farms that he supports with, I did. with me and it, what a blast <laughs> oh my a god i want to go on that trip next time <laughs> we <laughs> called it the pig junket it was uh it was a blast um uh you had Bailey? dan from lupa and otto and another buddy of mine from berkeley runs this uh, barbecue shop called t-rex oh, fantastic. Uh, and my sous chef and i all went out and uh we we tripped around for a couple days and uh did as much as possible in two days but yeah i want i want to get back out there soon it was great well, actually, Taylor, you are obviously going to be back numerous times here on the station because yeah, we, we didn't cover. Yeah, we could do a month of programming on yeah, this. Just really. on well, you. So Whenever it's good for y'all, let me know. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. Thank All you right. very well, much thanks, for joining Taylor. us today. Right, Take I'll care, Taylor. You soon. Have okay. a good one. Bye-bye. Well, what an amazing main course. We're going to uh, take a break and come back with the Q Report, which stands for Quotidian Culture, but yet another great show. What are we doing next week, Katie? Um, I don't think we've decided yet, but we could do gardens because uh, we Mm. have a fabulous connection to the Seed Savers Garden at the Bronx Botanical Garden, which has just opened up 250 acres of property to community gardening and informing the public about how to garden. So that's one possibility. And we could get Michael Hurwitz in from Mm -hmm. The green market, maybe, and um, there's some other really great community garden types out there. Or maybe we'll get our fish people together. Like we wait to the last minute. Yeah, (laughs) I I try to work on a few of these at once. They don't. They don't always cooperate. What can I tell you? And uh, Katie, by the way, thanks. uh, Your special man in your life is now going to be doing his own show on HR. Thank you. That's very exciting. Art burning down the house. All about architecture and design. Yeah. Very cool. So we will be back in uh, a minute. And um, thanks for to all our guests. Thanks, Amy. Thank you very much for coming on, you guys.